Well, good morning. How's everyone doing today? Oh, wow. I can't see y'all any, anymore, so I hope you're, you're doing well now. I can't quite. Yeah, the lights are bright. Um, how many are already ahead and done with your Christmas shopping? <laughs> All right. We'll just take that as representative for most people. Well, it is, it is great to be here with you, and it's great to just uh, see our kids. I love uh, the children's program every year. Uh, it's just always uh, incredible to see just all the pieces come together. Um, I was a little nervous this year because, you know, we've got flames here and kids, and I, you know, I'm just happy nothing caught on fire. Funny story, some of you know this. It was uh, actually a Christmas candlelight service. Um, I know it doesn't uh, look like, you know, that I have eyebrows because they're so light, but we were praying one night at, the, at a candlelight service, and I was probably 10 or 11, and I was holding the candle. You know, I kind of convinced my mom that I could handle it that year, and so I was holding the candle, but when we went to pray, I did like every Christian typically does, and of course, we bow our head, right? And um, I, I got a little too close. I don't know if I dozed off or anything, and some stuff started smoking on my face, and next thing you know, the pastor's daughter was like slapping me, you know, slapping my head, and it wasn't like to get the Holy Ghost or anything, it was to put the flames out, so, um, so yeah, so it was a pretty funny story, and uh, I did manage to grow some, things, some hair back eventually, but anytime there's flames and kids, you just don't know, so, but it is good to be with you today, and I love, again, being here in this season of Christmas, uh, this season as we just ramp up to uh, really the arrival of, of, of Christ as a baby, and Again, it happened many, many years ago, but I feel that every year, uh, it's really our part. We need to do our best to, as I've said many times, to slow it down, right? Because as many of you probably feel, and myself included, uh, we can just be so wound up with everything that we have to get done. And there's a lot of great things going on, you know, with family and, you know, all the parties we have to go to, whether it's work and friends and family and the things we have to get to, uh, the Christmas shopping that has to get done. But I just want to encourage all of us during this season to just really just to try to find moments to take a breath, to really come back to that place of, of the awe and wonder of the gift of Jesus coming as a baby for, for you and for me. And so uh, we're in a series we started last week called Among Us, and the whole obviously concept or idea behind that is that Jesus came, that God came as Jesus and was dwelt among us. He was with us. And so, you know, that is a, an amazing gift, you know, that we just still can't probably fathom. And so, you know, to even think of a concept such as a person, not of this world, who entered it as a baby boy, to be raised as one of us. And when I make a statement like that, I'm sure all of you know who I'm referring to, right? It's Superman. Superman, right? Anybody know Superman? Yeah? Did I take too hard of a right on you? Is you guys having hard? Okay, well, keep up with me. But but Superman, I want to talk about Superman for a minute. The guy with the cape and the blue tights, and we're going to come back to to Jesus here in a moment. Um, but it's very intriguing to me. I want you to to understand. I want to go through just a few points about Superman, and specifically, if anybody saw, I think it was the Man of Steel a few years back that came out. Um, I think this is referring to. I think it holds through the whole story of the comics and everything. But listen to. 10 points or 10 observations about Superman, all right? In Superman, you see otherworldly conflict, all right? The movie starts off with a conflict of power in Krypton, 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 sorry, the heavenly realm in this General Zod. Everybody know General Zod? Remember him? From the Christopher Reeve era or the new one or both? Okay, y'all got me worried now. 
So anybody seen Superman before? Okay, you can admit it. We're not going to pray for you. It's okay. So, so yeah, so there's General Zod, and he's kind of uh, this bad guy at the beginning. Um, the second thing is the name of Superman, Kal-El, is actually a Hebrew word translated as the voice of God, the voice of God. Similarly, Jesus is referred to as what, as we found out last week? <laughs> the word, right? The word. Hope you're all taking notes. The word. And so it's really interesting, these parallels. Uh, another observation is the backstory of the conflict of Krypton is before Superman comes on the scene, Jor-El, his father, encodes the codex, which is called, and it contains all possibility of life in the heavenly realms into the blood of Kal-El, Superman. So he's carrying, again, this, this, this blueprint, if you will. Jor-El sent Kal-El to earth knowing that humanity would reject him, but he did it anyway because it was the only way. Clark Kent waited until the appointed time to save the world, at which point he was, guess how old? 33. Guess who else was 33? You starting to see something parallel here? Jor-El commissioned Kal-El to be the bridge between two peoples. In response, Kal-El agreed, stated, I will save them, and then fell out of the space shuttle in the shape of a cross. And so when he fell, comes out of the space shuttle, it's actually in the shape of a cross. Jor-El, Superman's father, said that it was necessary for Kal-El to go to Earth so that he could truly relate to humanity, knowing and experiencing their sufferings as that would qualify him to be their adequate leader and savior. A few more. When General Zod went to destroy Superman and Earth, he erected two giant magnetic devices on opposite sides of the planet to pulsate a new atmospheric composition level of gravity, fundamentally reversing the natural order of Earth and making it more like his own dark kingdom. Anybody recognize who that might rec or represent? As again, Satan continues to try to turn things and to change things. Number nine, and a lot of people maybe don't realize this, or maybe you do, the symbol on Superman's chest, the S, actually stands for hope in his worldly context. If you recall in the movie, if you've seen it, they say, is that an S on your chest? And he's actually, where I'm from, it stands for hope. And lastly, at the end of the movie, an American general tells Superman that they cannot be sure they can trust him, and Superman responds that he is one of them, born and raised alongside of them, and that his rescuing of them proves he is for them, but ultimately they must trust his authority over them is good by remembering his rescue of them was good. So, you know, Pastor Dell, why do you talk about Superman so much today? Well, it's interesting because of the parallels, and again, I, you know, I would say that Superman really represents you know, is this parallel of Jesus, or, you know, and, and Jesus, of course, is the real Superman, if you will, but it's very interesting and intriguing that as we look at that and we wonder, you know, when they came up with that story and even the whole premise of superheroes in general, I think people are trying to explain things that are beyond kind of the natural, if you will, in, in a way that, that they can best uh, relate to. And so with, you know, this idea of superheroes and Superman, as we just covered, you know, this whole idea of, of Jesus coming to earth, that event, you know, is, is, is as he came in the flesh, it's what we call in the church incarn the incarnation, right? The incarnation. Incarnation is just the formal word used to describe the action of God taking on human flesh as Jesus, 
And we touched on this quite a bit last week, how important it is for us to, to kind of grasp that and hold on to that because there are some in certain circles or certain even religions that want to take that flesh away from Jesus, the flesh part, and say, you know, he was just, a, you know, whatever, just a, a figment of the imagination or a spirit or something like that. But he came in the physical flesh. He was incarnate. And so his arrival to earth really was the first gift ever given on Christmas. And again, you know, I think back to probably the first gift I can remember in my lifetime, and to think of that in comparison to Jesus coming to earth, the Savior coming to earth, is, is just pales in comparison, doesn't it? Whatever gift that is that we could think of, as wonderful as it is. And so when talking about, you know, this, this idea of the incarnation, you know, the trouble that we have is that we really just don't have other things to, to, to kind of bring us along, or there's nothing else to compare it to. And so we see, as I said, these stories of things like Superman and things like that. So we see these glimpses and these parallels. But the interesting thing is that oftentimes people don't even realize, you know, that, that when, what we're searching for, even kind of the things that they produce. Now, in Superman, there was some intentionality there, obviously, but... but a lot of people don't realize that, that we're looking for something more than we see here on earth right now. Even when, when people are you know, not uh, in Christ or don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, there's this, there's this peace that's missing. Many people chase it down. Many people chase you know, wealth or, or you know, recognition or that job or that perfect you know, family or spouse. And what they find is they arrive at these places time and time again, and they're still left wanting in their heart. There's still something that's missing. There's still something that just isn't quite there that, that brings the fulfillment. Everything is for just a moment, and it's fleeting. There are times and things in my life that I've really, really desired and wanted, and for the, the, the few times that I've actually achieved that and, and you know, that thing that took a long time to get to, I get there, and it's really wonderful, and then after a few weeks and after a few months and after a year or so, it just becomes kind of life as normal, right? And we're already kind of focused on what the next thing is going to be. Anybody relate to that? Amen? And that's, that's something, that's our human nature. That's, again, we're, what we're desiring cannot be fulfilled outside of Jesus Christ and that relationship with him. That's where we find our true contentment. And so today as we enter into this uh, second part of our four-week series during Advent, my hope and my prayer is that we spend these, these weeks, we spend this time that leads up to Christmas, and we're gonna be looking at, again, different parts of this first uh, chapter in the Gospel of John. My hope is that we prepare ourselves for what we described last week as this coming encounter with God that, that is coming for Christmas. You know, Christmas Day is, is fast approaching, and you know, I, I want to make it very clear. You know, my family, we love being together. We've got the Christmas tree, and we've got the presents, and we enjoy all of that, all of that. But my question and my challenge, really, for all of us today is how do we place Jesus in the center of this holiday season? Again, the, 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 the reason and the truth of, of what this whole time is supposed to be about. And so my hope is through our time that we, we bring the, him back to center. So if you have your Bibles and you're in John chapter 1, um, you're welcome to follow along. We're going to jump in at verse 14 this week. 
Uh, it should be up on the screen as well if you'd like to follow along there. And so beginning in verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for today. I thank you for every person, Lord, here in this place, everyone joining online, watching this service. And God, I pray that, uh, again, our hearts will continue to be open uh, to your word today. God, I pray for those here, Lord, just that, um, that we would continue to open up our hearts and prepare a place to make room, Lord, for you during this season. God, that you would meet us, Lord, in, in our, our needs, that you would meet us, meet us Lord, in our, in our happiness and joy, that you would meet us, Lord, in every area, Father, during this holiday season. And God, we just thank you that you did send your son, Jesus, Lord, in the flesh for us. And so, God, we just really want to just, uh, again, focus and dial in on that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, again, it's, it's uh, last week, you know, we talked about that, that Jesus was the one who entered the world via a manger. You know, we saw it kind of depicted here this morning with the, the kids and, you know, as, as Mary and Joseph, and they welcomed Jesus into a very humble space, into a, a space that would probably be um, far below what you would think a king would step into. But it's the truth of, of what happened in his manger birth and that he was and is God. So he, Last week, we tried to lean into the fact that, that Jesus is and was fully divine, that he, he is God, and that he came in this form. And this week, we're going to consider a, a different aspect of the incarnation, and that's the gift to us of God himself as he entered the world in the flesh, that, that this gift was given. It was not a requirement. It was not something that could be demanded. It was a gift from God. And this is kind of what maybe baffles some, some of us today is, is when we see people um, and we see people trying to somehow obtain Jesus through a means of their own. But that gift of salvation through Jesus Christ cannot be bought, it cannot be earned. <laughs> it's, it's given, it's a gift that's given. And how many here love to receive a gift? Most people, depends who's giving it maybe, <laughs> or what's in there. But it's hard, you know, especially if it's a if it's a stranger or you don't know the person. And somebody just walked up, you know, imagine somebody just walks up to you on the road and just says, "Hey, I've got something I want to give you." What's your first response? <laughs> right? Eyebrow probably goes up, and you're kind of like, "Hold on a second. So, because it just isn't, it's not the normal human nature, is it? You know, hey, here's something. Here's Here's whatever. Here's $100. And if somebody handed you $100 on the street, you would probably want to either think it's fake. You would probably ask, what do you want in return, right? And some of us maybe even just walk by and just for the sake of whatever might happen, we'll just go without it, right? Because something always, it always comes with a catch. And so I think for all of us still, it's, it's still hard to receive a free gift, of, to re receive a gift from someone, um, especially, you know, that, that you maybe haven't, I would say, earned. 
Has anybody, can anybody relate to this? Like maybe when somebody has bought you a gift that you know and you didn't buy them something? Just keep looking this way. You didn't, and so I know, no, no, I know none of you have done this, but you know, yeah, I got your gift. It's, it's late, it's late, delayed in the mail, it's coming, or you, know, you run out to the 7-Eleven. Anybody with me? <laughs> Come on, four of us, okay, you can pray for us. Yeah, you know, because you feel that it's really hard just to, to receive, isn't it? You feel like, okay, well, if you're gonna give me something, then I need to give you something back because we've gotta keep this balanced out somehow. But it's not like that with Jesus. It's not like that as God sent his son because there's really nothing that we can give that would ever compare to what that gift is and means for us. And so as we read here in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And so again, last week we, we, we talked about this term here that Jesus is being referred to as the word. And, you know, we unpack that. And so if you missed that, I would encourage you to go back. But when he's talking about the word, he's talking about Jesus here. And, you know, here in verse 14, we learn that the divine word, Jesus himself, who was at the beginning back in Genesis as the world was being created that we know of, he was there, he was present. And he, that person of the Trinity, became human and he dwelt among us. And we are going to spend a lot of time now on this word dwelt. It's only a five-letter word, but it is a word that is packed with meaning and significant to, to understand because we can read this word, we can read this sentence even, and I, I say it often, but I want to continue to encourage you. There is so much depth to, to the truth and to the scriptures that, that here we can read by this and like, yeah, he dwell. I, I got that. I understand it. But I think there's a lot of meaning that we can pull out of this, and I want to spend some time doing so with you. Again, we, we, say, we sing songs and we talk about Jesus being Emmanuel, meaning what? God with us, right? And so this word dwelt, it comes from a Greek term, and the term is this, it's skino. Everybody say skino. It's just fun to say, isn't it? Skino. And, you know, it's, it's something that uh, the, the, the Greek used, and it, it means for, we've just done the best we can do and use this word dwelt. But listen to this, it is actually the verb form of tabernacle, okay? Now, again, many of us here probably have heard the word tabernacle, but a fair paraphrase then of, of John 1.14 would then be, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us, or another way to say it is that he pitched his tent among us. You remember the Feast of Tabernacles, and they would the, the the Jews would celebrate this by literally building these these uh, tab or these tents, if you will, and erecting these to remember their time in the wilderness. And so it was a significant uh, thing for them. But but I want you to have this imagery as we continue to unpack this a little bit. You know, we hear this word tabernacle today, and you, you know you may think of churches, right? You know, there's Brooklyn Tabernacle here down in Chicago. There's Chicago Tabernacle, and there's different you know denominations and churches that use that word to describe their structure where they meet. But we can see in, that the tabernacle is first in, used in the Old Testament. And, you know, if you had to describe it, it would, you know, this point of, of, of the, the whole idea, anyway, of, of the earthly tabernacle, when we see the children of Israel moving in the wilderness and they first built this, was that it was to be present with them and it was supposed to be mobile, right? Wherever they went, they would 
pull it down, they would go to the new place and they would re-erect it, right? And so that's significant for us to, to pay attention to because again, it was this place where heaven and earth intersected. It was where, again, God's glory would come down into the most holy place and this tabernacle was that place. And so the problem came when people, even God's chosen people, lost sight that the tabernacle was only supposed to be a foreshadow of God's future plan of sending himself in the person of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Everything that we experience on this earth, I sometimes stop when I think about like just the simplest things, but everything, all of our lives, it's, it's all supposed to be these parallels and these comparisons and, and helping us to understand how, you know, in, in spiritual principles and how the kingdom of God works. Take a marriage, for example, you know, and how the church is oftentimes compared to the bride of Christ. There's this whole imagery of what a marriage is, and that's supposed to help us to, to get a glimpse. We're never going to fully understand it this side of eternity, but get a glimpse of what it's supposed to be like. But it's a foreshadow. Again, God is not, this isn't the end all be all on how amazing and awesome the, the tabernacle was, but it was supposed to foreshadow the coming of the Messiah. And, you know, Jesus doesn't just show up in the, the New Testament, does he? Do you know what the entire Bible is about from Genesis to Revelation? This is where you say C, right? Jesus. <laughs> That's your safe answer. It's about Jesus. And so we see all these stories and how, how it comes together. But listen to what it says in 1 Chronicles 17, 1 through 5. It says, Now when David lived in his house, David said to Nathan the prophet, Behold, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. And Nathan said to David, Do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, it is not you who will build me a house to dwell in, for I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up Israel uh, to this day, but I have gone from tent to tent and from dwelling to dwelling. And so again, we see here with David, you know, his intentions were right. He stopped and he realized he's thinking, okay, I'm in a house of cedar, which was very expensive, but the Ark of the Covenant, where the Lord's presence was, is sitting under a tent. And so David, with his best intentions, went on with the idea to say, hey, you know what? We're going to build this elaborate temple for, for, for God to dwell in here on earth. The question here, again, is sometimes, or I don't know if it's a question, but let me just make a statement you know, sometimes our best intentions are not, are not right. I may have hurt your feelings with that statement, but sometimes, you know, we can, and again, David meant the best thing. He wanted to do something great for the Lord, but the Lord hadn't told him, build me a temple. Again, this tabernacle was, was foreshadowing Jesus coming to earth. Who can build a house for God except God himself? And so when, you know, this, this was revealed and, 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 you know, God saying this to David, he thought it would, you know, when he's thinking of it, he's like, okay, well, I'm thinking about the temple and, and maybe, 
Maybe it's, it's, it's gonna be, maybe not me, but maybe my son, but he's, this is going through his mind. And we read on further, listen to what this says in First Chronicles 17 and verse 11 through 14. It says, when your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, okay, this is being told to David, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I will take, or I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you, but I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. Who is this talking about? Let her see. Jesus. Y'all, you're, you're unsure. That's okay. <laughs> It's okay, we're only recording it. It's gonna be for eternity, we gotcha. <laughs> it's Jesus, because again, you know, Solomon's throne, was it established forever? No, it's kind of a, a, kind of a cue, right? A text cue that it says, a context clue for us that he establishes his throne forever um, and my kingdom forever. His throne shall be established forever. You know, when you ever see that word forever, typically it's not talking about man. It's talking about God, right? Because forever is not just here forward. It's always, right? And so, again, you know, this whole thing, you know, God is getting to this point, And when you think about it from that, he shall build a house for me and I will establish his throne forever, Jesus. I will be to him a father and shall be to, he will be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from the one who was before you. And so all of these things, again, it's pointing to Jesus. He's speaking about Jesus. And when it says one of your sons, you know, in, in that uh, culture, you know, it's grandson, you know, great, great grandson. They're all sons. It's a lineage. And so this is pointing to the fact that Jesus is going to come through the lineage of David. And so God is laying it out. But as David, as many of us, you know, we just some, sometimes miss it, don't we? <laughs> we miss the mark. You know, David saw here, you know, the term house will build a house for me. And he's thinking a physical house. But yet the Bible, again, it tells us that God does not dwell in a house made with hands. In Acts 7, 48 through 50, it says, Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and my earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? And again, it's reaching back to Isaiah chapter 66 when he, they're saying this. But again, he's establishing that this, you know, my house is not a structure. And you know what's incredible is we talk about this often as well. When we say the church, we say it often. The church is not these four walls and this roof, is it? We are the church. If you showed up here next week and there was nothing here on this land, the church would still be present here because we're here. We're gathered together in Jesus' name. The church are the people. The church is, again, not a structure. And so you can see how that kind of parallels here, can't you? God never intended some man-made structure to contain him or to contain his presence. I'll tell you, when I was preparing for this message, I got, like, almost like information overload. I have a whole nother sermon that I, I'm probably gonna have to preach at some point uh, about some other things. And you know, that's what I love about getting to do what I do. 
is because I'm blessed, I hope you're blessed, but I get blessed every Sunday. I preach the greatest message every Sunday to myself. <laughs> and so I just like, it's just such a, because I get to prepare the week and God just reveals so much through his word, things you know that I didn't even see before, things that I've read 127 times. On that 128th time, it's like, how did I not see this? And just to see how God brings all these things together perfectly, almost as if he had a plan. That was a hint of sarcasm. <laughs> but by using this word here as we're talking dwelt or tabernacle, John is giving us a, a clear picture of what it meant that God dwelt among people in the flesh. When he came to earth in the flesh, you think about this word tabernacle, and again, the tabernacle's main purpose was to provide this uh, a physical place for God's manifestation of his holiness on earth. You know, it was, it was this place that God's presence was. When you look at the layout of the tabernacle, the contents, the vessels and furniture, everything in it, the material of it, it all harkened back to some element of God's character and humanity's need to approach with a holy reverence and respectfully. You know, Aaron was set as the high priest and his sons, right at the very get-go, I mean, they were appointed, again, it was, it was a family event or affair. It was, it was a family lineage that would be the priests. And they, hand, they, they chose to handle the presence of God lightly, being in God's presence. You know what happened to them? They were killed. They were, God, boom, right there. They fell dead on the spot because they tried to approach God. They, 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 they came to him in a way that was, was not honorable, was not holy. And so we have to always understand that when we approach God and we approach his presence, that there is this holy reverence that is in place. And we, church, the people who have called Jesus on Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, we have the, the, the gift of grace we have the gift of mercy because we have the gift of the cross in Jesus Christ who is our mediator. But let us never lose that, that sight, the sight of the reverence that we're supposed to come to God with. You see, the tabernacle was, it was also the place where humanity could come to God and worship. As the Dictionary of Biblical Imagery, it states it this way. It says, in this way, the author of the gospel intends us to see Jesus as the fulfillment of the tabernacle. God is indeed present among men and women. And so, you know, we use this word tabernacle not as a, a, a noun, but as, again, a verb. And this act of tabernacling among us is a gift from God. And if we, as we said, this was really that first gift of Christmas because when Jesus showed up, it was a game changer, wasn't it? It was a game changer. And as we know, as he lived his life up until the cross and when he died and as the veil was torn from top to bottom, the veil that divided the most holy place from the rest of, of the temple, now God's presence was accessible. And it wasn't just to go to be able to access that place any longer but instead, as we read a little further in Acts and we saw the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God comes, the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, uh, descends and comes onto the, the people, 
they now became the temples. They became the tabernacle of God's spirit, of God's presence. And so you and I have the gift of carrying the presence of God with us wherever we go. We don't have to go to a place which is amazing and an amazing gift. We don't have to journey thousands of miles to some location to somehow interact with God in his presence. We have the privilege, again, to walk with God every moment of every single day. But we are supposed to be mobile, <laughs> like the tabernacle in the Old Testament. And I think some of us have moved from temple, or I mean from tabernacle to temple, and we've kind of put a foundation down and we kind of stay still. It's not supposed to be like that. You don't have to come here on Sunday morning and that be the only time that you uh, experience God's presence. You walk with the living God present in you and, and through you if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you've accepted that gift. You have become the tabernacle where his spirit takes residence. Unlike this physical temple, and just like our Savior Jesus, we are invited to walk in relationship with God the Father every single day and every single moment. As we prepare to wrap up here this morning, I just want to present us with a, first a question, a couple of questions. But one thing I, I want us to look at, and, and many of us know Moses, you know, he's a pretty prominent figure in the Bible. Everybody's probably seen the Ten Commandments at least. But Moses may have a good argument that he had probably the best relationship with God. Meaning God brought him, I mean, God showed up, first of all, when he called Moses, right? The burning bush, remember that? And then when, when the children of Israel come out of Egypt and they come to the mountain of God, you know, Moses goes up the mountain, but let me, before I give you my question, I just want to make one point, real quick point there. You understand that the whole intention, the invitation from God was not from God to Moses, for Moses to come up the mountain, but that his people would come all together up the mountain into his presence. But they chose not to because they didn't want to get things right and clean the things up that they needed to clean up. And so they said, Moses, you go. <laughs> We're going to stay down here. And we know the rest of the story, right? Golden Idol, or Golden Calf gets built, and they're, they're having all kinds of crazy stuff happening while God's, or Moses is up with God, but it was never God's intention. He wanted that relationship with his people. But listen, when Moses was asked, or, you know, what, what could he ask God for? This was his, his request. He said, God, please show me your glory. I want to be able to look upon you. I want to see your glory in, in, in all of its fullness. And of course, as we know, that that was impossible because it would have just destroyed him, his physical human flesh. And so instead, he got kind of a glimpse as God passed by. But you think about that, anything that he could have asked for, and all he wanted to do was just to see God in his fullness and to see his glory. I think about, you know, shamefully, just some of the things, if I was given a chance to ask for anything from God, would it be that? Or would I have a laundry list of other things that I would want first? God, just show me more of you. Give me a glimpse of who you are. Would that be my prayer? What would your answer be? See, not only does John 1 tell us that in Jesus 
we can behold the glory of God and live, but we are also given a description of this glory. It is a gracious glory. It is full of grace and truth. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And I don't know about you, but I am not deserving of it, but I am so thankful that, that there is grace because I miss it often. I miss it. I mess up. <laughs> and it's not even always an accident. It's something that I choose something before I choose God. Yet God's grace is always there and is always coming after us. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And that's the difference. And that's what we can anticipate. That's what we can be praying for as we are in this season and as we approach the day that we recognize Jesus' birth, that we now have grace and truth. So I close with this question. Have you received God's gift of grace in your everyday life today? Have you received that? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for this time, for this season. Lord, as many are just uh, in the world and still searching, Lord, I pray that uh, you would utilize, Lord, this season. God, that you would use us, your church, to be a light and to reach, uh, Lord, the lost with the good news of the gospel, that, that you have arrived. God, we pray for those, Lord, who, who don't recognize that. Lord, we thank you that, that you came. You came as a baby. You came in the flesh. God, you came and dwelt and tabernacled among us. And Lord, as we look at your life here on earth, God, we see, uh, again, the gift of being able to walk with the Spirit dwelling in us, the example that you set for us. Lord, for those of us who ask, why did you, why did you have to live a, a life here on earth? Why didn't you just come and, and go straight to the cross? And Lord, it was, it was so that you could live in, as an example, so you could show us, Lord, what it is to walk as a living tabernacle, that we're, one that where the Spirit of God dwells. And so, Lord, I pray, Lord, during this, this holiday season for Christmas and as we approach the new year, Lord, that we would truly make room for you, that we would make room, Lord, for you to dwell in our hearts. God, for those here today in person and those watching online who maybe haven't made that decision, haven't come to that, that saving knowledge of you as Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that, that this would be the year, that this would be the time and the season. God, that they would truly uh, surrender to you and say, Lord, will you save me? I, I need you as Lord and Savior in my life. Lord, things in life are, are leaving me empty. The things that I had built all of my foundations on are, are falling and crumbling around me. Lord, I need, I need something. I need someone, Lord, to save me. God, that they would recognize that you love them deeply and that you love them to the point that you sent your son, Jesus, who would ultimately grow up into being a man and, and, and dying on a cross, but on the third day rose again and now is seated at the right hand of the heavenly Father. God, I pray that Again, many of that don't know you that are still, Lord, searching would come to know, again, what it is to be in your presence 
and for your presence to dwell in their lives, to fill them up by your spirit. So God, we just pray that, that during this season, we would continue, Lord, to keep our eyes on you, that we would to continue, Lord, to, to dwell, Lord, with you and in your presence. And God, that we would be a light, Lord, in a dark world around us. So God, we thank you for each one. We thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.